I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Gather around the campfire, everyone. It's time for... The <laughs> this time it's personal. Wow, I just am now waiting to see what how you you go. Like, what what, what were you doing, um, Tony from The Shining? Nope, it was this little um, pencil uh, man, like a little stick man, and he just fell off the page. Oh. So yesterday we talked about uh, the the film The Exorcist, the real story. R-E-E-L. See what I did there? Isn't that clever? This is the real R-E-A-L exorcist story. So digging around, I I just have some three quick little uh, things of interest to read. Um, From the Washington Post, Friday, August 20th, 1949, the headline is Priest Frees Mount Rainier Boy Reported Held in Devil's Grip. This is our own hometown paper here. In what is perhaps one of the most remarkable experiences of its kind in recent religious history, a 14-year-old Mount Rainier boy has been freed by a Catholic priest of possession by the devil, Catholic sources reported yesterday. Only after between 20 and 30 performances of the ancient ritual of exorcism here and in St. Louis was the devil finally cast out of the boy, it was said. In all except the last of these, the boy broke into a violent tantrum of screaming, cursing, and voicing of Latin phrases, a language he had never studied, whenever the priest reached the climactic point of the ritual. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I cast thee out. In complete devotion to his task, the priest stayed with the boy over a period of two months, during which he said he personally witnessed such manifestations as the bed in which the boy was sleeping suddenly moving across the room. A Washington Protestant minister had previously reported personally witnessing similar manifestations, including one in which the pallet on which the boy lay slid slowly across the floor until the boy's head bumped against a bed, awakening him. In another instance, reported by the Protestant minister, a heavy armchair in which the boy was sitting with his knees drawn under his chin tilted slowly to one side and fell over, throwing the boy on the floor. The final rite of exorcism in which the devil was cast from the boy took place in May, it was reported. A priest here voiced the belief that it was probably the first casting out of the devil through the ritual in at least a century of Catholic activities here and perhaps in the entire history of the church in this area. The boy was taken to Georgetown University Hospital, where a train passed by. On a train. uh, Where he... (laughs) where his affliction was exhaustively studied and to St. Louis University. Both are Jesuit institutions. Finally, both Catholic hospitals, said the priest, reported they were unable to cure the boy through natural means. Only then, said a priest here, was a supernatural cure sought. The ritual was undertaken by a St. Louis priest, a Jesuit in his 50s, who devoted himself to the task through prayers and fasting. The ritual began in St. Louis, continued here, and finally ended in St. Louis. For two months, the priest stayed with the boy accompanying him back and forth on the train, sleeping in the same house and sometimes in the same room with him. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Even though the ritual of exorcism, uh, even through the ritual of exorcism, the boy was by no means cured readily. Repeatedly, each time the ritual was performed, the violent reaction would come from the boy when the words were spoken, I cast thee out. A reaction of profanity and screaming and the astounding use of Latin phrases the, re- the priest was reported as saying. In one manifestation, the boy reported that he had seen a vision of St. Michael casting out the devil. Finally, at the last performance of the ritual, the boy was quiet. Since then, it was reported, all manifestations have ceased. Copyright the Washington Post. Um... What do you think of all that, guys? 
I'll just say, I'll ask a question. Was the identity of this kid ever, ever released, even now in 2021? I don't believe so. Or is it 2022? It's 2021. Um, so the kids never told his exorcist story? No, no. And I find that interesting. And the time, too, 1949. Yeah, they were very yeah. religious. They probably didn't want anyone to know, um... It's interesting the priest stayed with him sometimes in the same room for two Lock, months. Locked in the same room. That's, this is locked. Yeah. yeah. So if you hear moving furniture or a pounding bed... Don't go there. Don't... <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, no. I'm kind of serious. It kind of se- felt, feels like, if you kind of look at it, kind of like, hey, by the way, something's wrong with your kid. And if you hear shit moving around or bodies being thrown on the ground, it's just him trying to get rid of the devil. I'm sure, I think we can do it. But we're going to take a road trip to Missouri. Yeah. Or to D.C. and then back to, to Missouri, yeah. Is that where it started, Missouri? Yeah. Missouri. And then went to Mount, Mount Rainier. Well, that's the, the, the next piece here. Uh, where we, is Mount Rainier? And it's in Maryland. Yeah. It, like, it's, it's Frederick? It's, it's somewhere near the border of D.C., um, but I'm not sure exactly where. All right, we're going to be right back. For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at BunnyManBrewing.com. We're back. Uh, if you hear a possessed pug in the background, I think uh, we might need an exorcism on Byron tonight. He's uh, currently uh, digging at the couch. In the name of Vader, in the name of Buddha. Oh my God. There's a, they're having a blanket fight. They don't. Okay. It's okay, boys. Uh, all right. So this next thing, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, there's interesting parts where was it Mount Rainier? Or was it another place called Cottage City? Um, ah, the plot thickens or thins? So this is from the Washington City paper in 1999. Uh, the article's entitled Mr. Satan's Neighborhood. Um, subtitle, After 50 Years of Silence, Cottage City Finally Let's Go of Its Demons. So Cottage City makes you think... Cottage City? I did not say that. <laughs> Cottage City... Makes you think you've rolled into some quaint crabbing town on Maryland's eastern shore. Most of the houses are one-story bungalows, often distinguishable only by the shade of a paint and type of porch chime. Seagulls swirl around port town banners that hang from streetlights along the main drag. The town's most prominent building is the two-story brick firehouse built back in 1939. For generations, most cottage... Would you like to buy a vow? I think I need an exorcism. Most cottage city males have served as volunteers while the females have loyally belonged to the ladies auxiliary. The tiny place has its share of churches. There are storefront Pentecostal uh, buildings, a Presbyterian chapel, and a former apartment building that houses the Overcoming Power Bible Way Church. The newest flock is based in somebody's residence, a marquee on wheels parked in front of 
in the front yard announces to passers-by, God's Final Call and Warning, Incorporated. Despite appearances, Cottage City lies just across the district line in Prince George's County. Um, so, here we go. I'm skipping around to the good part. Cottage City, a nice place to raise your kids where the houses are small but the shade trees are big where nothing ever happens because everybody's too tired to do anything after work but there is another side to sleepy cottage city that's long been kept in the dark for half a century this quaint little town has been harboring a big secret there it is it happened at the house right over there william hall senior points through the drapes of his front window to a bungalow across the street Retired from a three-decade stint with the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission, the 62-year-old wears a white t-shirt and a small silver cross around his neck. That's the exorcist house. What? Um, so, as it goes, this, this interview goes around to, uh, it actually quotes the Washington Post article, of course, um, and mentions that the Post's headline caught the eye of a Georgetown University student, William Peter Blatty, Whose, whose then best-selling novel, The Exorcist, changed the setting to Georgetown and made the protagonist a girl. In the following years, and especially after the wildly popular 1973 film version, rumors persisted that the events had actually taken place in Mount Rainier, along Rhode Island Avenue just north of the district line. But the tale really took off after a 1981 article in the local newspaper, Demonic Possession Still Haunts Mount Rainier Residence. And uh, later, a uh, 1993 Doubleday book. Um, so th there's a big discrepancy here with where it actually happened. Um, there's an article in The Current, and this was current in 1999, issue of Rockville-based Strange magazine that argues convincingly that the legend is just that. The belief that the haunted boy had lived in that house was nothing more than an urban myth. Um, it was really in Cottage City. So he wrote this 26-page expose titled The Haunted Boy of Cottage City, the cold hard facts behind the story that inspired The Exorcist. Um, in the article, Opsasnik argues that the priest at St. James Catholic Church misled the press into believing the boy was from Mount Rainier in order to protect his identity. It was an easy story to swallow since the mostly Victorian neighborhood of Mount Rainier seemed a more suitably spooky setting for evil to show up. Why would the devil go into bland little co cottage city? Um, what Obsasnik discovered is the residents of Cottage City have been more than willing to let Mount Rainier take the credit. As the old timers who knew the truth moved out or died off, those few who remained simply kept their mouths shut. Um, when Hall moved to Cottage City in the late 60s, he heard talk that the bungalow across the street was the exorcist house, but the tale was already viewed as ancient history. And besides, family hadn't lived there since 1958. Um, so basically, it goes on to say uh, he's worried that the mayor of, the, of Cottage City is worried that publicity could attract the curious and... That's an equally dour prospect. The new tenants are renters, and so far they've made good neighbors. You might get everybody coming in saying, now where is that house? And then we'd be infringing on those people's privacy. Ultimately, the story of the exorcist's house holds little interest for Hall, mostly because he wasn't there when it happened. Uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm just going on hearsay myself, he admits. I don't know him. You ought to talk to Scotty. He knew him. 
Cottage residents since 1919, T. Weston Scott Jr. lives just down the street from Hall's place in a cottage he bought back in the late 1930s. Um, outside Scott's tidy bungalow sits a small plaster statue of the Virgin Mary. The 82-year-old Scott recalls the gossip he heard about the so-called exorcist house. He always thought it was a lot of bunk spread by busybodies. I knew all about it from the neighbors talking, moving beds, and someone screaming and all that stuff. I never paid much attention to it. The boy supposedly causing all this ruckus struck Scott as nothing special, no different than any other of the neighborhood kids, including his own sons, who knew him. People said he did things out in the woods and chased animals and such, but I never knew anything against him. They claimed he could do odd things, but I don't really believe in that stuff. The priest who was involved in this, Father Hughes, I know I knew him well. My wife was a member of his church. He visited with us all the time, but he never talked about it. Scott has never bothered with the book or the movie, both of which he regards as foolishness piled on top of foolishness. Still, he admits that it wasn't your typical goings-on at the house down the street, that's for sure. I do know that something happened up at that house and they had to get out of there. Um, this is the last part that I kind of found funny. There are only a few families left in Cottage City who would remember any of this, he says, but they probably don't want to talk about it. Then he pauses. It was mostly all the women gossiping. You ought to talk to the lady up the street. She knows all about it. She knew the family. The old woman sits precariously in a chair propped in front of the remains of a lunch prepared by her daughter visiting from Laurel. She's been feeling rather poorly of late and so she's in no mood to try to remember things from 50 years ago. Everybody says it happened in Mount Rainier, she says. The only thing I've ever heard is Mount Rainier. So there you go. Um, the old woman with grim finality. All I ever heard was that it happened in Mount Rainier. I'm convinced it was over in Mount Rainier. Things like that couldn't happen here in Cottage City. So... That's an interesting twist. So we're not even sure it's Mount Rainier. It's maybe this other place that's been lying that it's Mount Rainier, that the priest like said it happened to protect the, the identity of the family. Isn't that strange? Yeah, I think it's called a lie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All those years later. Who knows the truth all those yeah. years later? Exactly. You know? That's what I mean. Anybody can make up anything. It actually happened right here in Fairlington. Um, I, was, I wasn't here, but I heard from an older person that I used to live with in Fairlington who had heard it from somebody who lived in Fairlington prior to that that it actually happened here. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, there we go. It sounds like it's happening here. Yeah, the pugs are... Insane. I cast thee out to the backyard. Um, we will be right back. From award-winning journalist and author Michael Lee Pope, The Ghosts of Alexandria, his spellbinding book tells of historical intrigue the brutal beginnings of a port city, romances that end in tragedy, restless spirits like the tomb of the female stranger who's said to haunt Gadsby's tavern, and the three falling ghosts of the Carlisle house. Explore the supernatural journey of the ghosts of Alexandria, available at ArcadiaPublishing.com. Okay, so we're to our last thing. Uh, this has just been published September 27th of this year. Um, this is from the Washingtonian. The title is Honey, We Bought the Exorcist House. Subtitle, Would You Want to Live in the Place that Inspired a Famous Horror Movie? 
so in 2020, Danielle Witt and Ben Rocky Harris uh, spend months trying to fi- find a house without any luck. They finally settled in uh, Prince George's County town named Cottage City. Um, one thing he missed in his research was that this was the house that inspired The Exorcist. Yes, one of the creepiest horror movies was born in the same bungalow where the couple would now be sleeping. Um, in 1949, yeah, we know all this. Uh, so, I guess between 1999 and 2021, the Cottage City thing has been somehow proven. Yeah, right, yeah. So I guess we've settled on the fact that it's not Mount Rainier. I, I want to read that 26-page treatise. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, we should track that down. Um, so this guy, Witt, stumbled onto the home's history online. That it was probably why the couple had been able to buy the house cheap, she realized, and why several previous contracts had fallen through. But Witt wasn't disconcerted. As someone with a long interest in the occult, um, Witt knew that demons, unlike ghosts, possess people rather than real estate. Possess people rather than real estate. Uh, they do not convey with the house. So... Uh, they are living in this house. There's nothing to see. Um, they've had some weird people kind of drive by. Uh, but this is kind of funny. Um, they have changed their Wi-Fi password to Pazuzu. <laughs> um, so anyone trying to hook up sees Pazuzu, Pazuzu. right? Uh, but they're, they're not really fussed about it. They live in the house. They just got it. Guy's I remember cool shit for wearing a Ghostbusters shirt. Yeah, he's wearing a Ghostbusters shirt in front of the house. The house is a beautiful looking house. Um, and uh, this, I remember just a few months ago, the house was for sale. And that was the article I was going to talk about tonight. But this popped up in more recent searches. So he snapped it up pretty quick. And now the Exorcist house we have determined is in Cottage City. Shitty. Not shitty. Shitty. Um... <laughs> So that's the real exorcist. Uh, priest locked in a room with a boy for two months between St. Louis and here. And it's not in Mount Rainier. It's in Cottage City. And William Peter Blatty said, I'm going to college in Georgetown. I want to write it in Georgetown. Well, let's, uh, let's ask a question. Yeah? Do you think that exorcism is real, that it's needed, that it's still happening today? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's happening today in America or, but who knows? I mean, the world's a big, there are witches being persecuted currently in Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, like, is it, is it real? I think it's, it's a psychosomatic thing that triggers, triggers a break from whatever. It's an ultimatum. I believe if there is someone who feels like they are possessed or is going through an emotional state, it might be something that wears them down and breaks them down to the point of letting go of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's necessarily a demon or just acting out. Right. Um, unless there's supernatural things involved. I, I don't know. Yeah, I so- also wonder if the, sorry, if the, especially at the time, if this story didn't kind of do the church some good publicity of well, like. Sure, sure. Well, and really in the movie itself, the, the Jesuit priest, I uh, can't think of his name right now. Uh, Father Karras? Yeah. Like he goes into the details of how many exorcisms have been done in the history of the church it wasn't very many and that she would know more about or the same amount that 
any priest would know about an exorcism because it's just not done. So it's interesting that I think the exorcist, the movie, really put it more so into our, you know, our lexicon and it, it grabbed onto this zeitgeist and it almost feels like it created a, a power of exorcism after that movie came out that wasn't there prior to it. It also, I think this had a lot of big backing behind it because it almost felt like a theatrical response to Rosemary's Baby. To like, it, it was almost like uh, Catholicism porn in a way of like, look, there is faith, there is this, and this has power. And I, and I'm not, I'm not saying any of that in a negative way. I just know that this. This, if, if you see this film, uh, the, the original film, it's, I mean, it's loaded with hope. It's loaded with hope against all kinds of horrific, grotesque, evil scenarios. And that there's always some kind of sacrifice for goodness to prevail. You know, it's, um, do you have any final thoughts on either the real, R-E-E-L, or R-E-A-L stories? Uh, I've, I feel like sort of like split personality, someone who's going through exorcism, being possessed uh, is has car has compartmentalized uh, a part of their human experience into their psyche that is now um, coming out as a response to something that has happened to them or uh, some sort of emotional or mental break but in order to believe that there is demonic possession you have to truly believe that there is a hell with a satanic figure that has demons. There's no real gray area of like, I mean, because that's what it is. Right, and just, I mean, even Satanists believe there's a God. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they believe in Lucifer, so if they believe in Lucifer and they believe in hell, then they have to believe in the... You have to believe in extremes. You have to believe in extremes of both uh, skew. But as far as the hope, I did not see the hope in that film, if that's the... um, There was hope that this would work. There was hope that, and belief and faith that this arcane... uh, ritual would help because ultimately this woman who was an atheist became faithful to something as a desperate last sure so that's the hope i think but i don't know if she i i don't know because i don't think there is hope because i think that it didn't work i don't think what they did worked i think that he asked for the demon to come into him and then he was a good person and killed himself to kill the demon i don't know if I don't know if the exorcism actually did anything. Did anything? Do you know what I mean? It well, was, clearly it wasn't working because the person closest to died. God said, "Well, you know what? This isn't working. Let me just take the, the the demon with me, and I'll kill myself." Right. So rather than helping to get rid of the demon, I'm actually going to use my vessel to do so because of his guilt, because he felt like he killed his mother by yeah. not being there for her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't think there's hope in that. Well, I think if the if the Catholic Church and they may have been, if they were really trying to make this seem like, hey, Catholicism is the way, I think you could have a really big discussion 
about the uh, alcohol abuse and the tobacco abuse. And the, I mean, they were almost darker characters than the other people who didn't believe. Right, right, right. There are about and 80, 88 doctors and 88 ashtrays yeah. in the film. Yeah. And I don't know if Ellen Burstyn's character really did believe, believe. Yeah. in the end. I think she just cared about her daughter and knew something was wrong. And yeah, and so she went with anything. I guess where I got the notion of hope, and I, now that you guys are bringing up all these dark things, I'm retracting a lot <laughs> of my thoughts, but I think the hope is in the end after the deaths have happened and you see her kiss the priest and not know why, and you see the surviving priest walk off you. with the detective, and it's almost as if the world has been righted from the wrong, and right. things will go along and be fine, mm -hmm. and that's where the hope is, almost like you, you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet, and now we all enjoyed breakfast, and let's right. start our day. And it's somewhat melancholy to me to see uh, Regan kiss the, that priest on the cheek, who's a real priest, by the way, in mm -hmm. real life. Not an actor. Yeah, not an actor. Uh, kiss his on the cheek because she's thanking Karis. Mm -hmm. That's so melancholy to think because he gave his life. For her. For that little girl and wasn't even really sure in his own belief. But why was she kissing him? It was to almost like a, an impulse. To like she him. saw the collar. Karis. Why would she do that? Because she didn't remember anything, but she knew that there was a priest that took the thing that was in control of her. Yeah, and I'm, t I'm, I'm totally pushing yeah, you yeah. to a place because I, if I was on that working on that film and I clearly wasn't, which is why I'm still renting, eh. the mother makes a big point. She doesn't remember anything. Yeah. But, hey, let's show that she, she remembers a, Something. a little. Right. That's just. I don't think she does. She just jumps like she sees the collar. And, yeah, like an impulse of like. And then you see it pass on her face of like, why did I do that? I just really think that the three of us. I think I brought this up earlier. I think the ending of the film really could have been a much bigger, not a bigger statement, but a more solid statement. It seemed to just kind of piddle and like that guy was like, let's go have a sandwich. For me, know? I think the movie should have ended with the priest giving him the last rites. I think that's where the movie should have ended. At the bottom of the stairs. I agree. Yeah. I think it should have ended at the bottom of the steps. I kept having flashbacks or flash forwards about what characters I wanted to see. At one point I thought, what if they were all sitting on the steps? I thought, no, that looks like the Brady Bunch or something. But I, I wanted it to be the, the, like this is where it happened. I just think that would have left the film incredibly bleak. And I think that after, especially in 1973, taking the audience through the paces of that film, the audience needed absolution, much like at the end of a service, you need absolution of, okay, we're ending the church service, this is the, uh, the what do you call it? Um, benediction. Benediction. That's what that was. If they ended that in the death, I, I think that would have been like, well, all of that for all of that. It is, after all, almost a Catholic-based kind of story mm -hmm. that you need the resurrection they that i mean well, they never did it in the incredible hulk series <laughs> he always walked alone into a sad right tune. yeah to a sad do, tune do, 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 do. <laughs> um i was gonna bring up uh anthony perkins son who's that uh filmmaker he did uh hansel and gretel or gretel and hansel i don't remember uh, a couple other uh netflix things but his whole thing is keeping the audience in that lead up 
to the release that you're talking about. He never gives you that release. It's this just this constant buildup of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and nothing really ever happens, but you're always on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen. I hate dates like that. Nah, and some people hate those movies, but I like that, and I think The Exorcist is a phenomenal film. It deserves all the accolades it gets, but I, I just I don't feel like it knows what it's necessarily saying with the end of the film I don't know because William Peter Blatty and William Friedkin are not religious people and I'm sure the problem it lies which we all already know is the fact that they had this delicious story that was based on real things but in order to make a window in and a window out they had to kind of make up you know they had to build the fake little house to make it look like and that's what the whole movie does but I really enjoyed watching it um, again. I really enjoyed watching it and seeing the period of the costumes and the music and revisiting the story and Linda Blair and What's Her Face, who I didn't know was famous. Ellen Burstyn? Ellen Burstyn. Oh, all the characters. The char- I think that's because <clears throat> Freakin was coming off the French Connection and could have made, you know, couldn't make anything. So him making this he had carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted to and he does a phenomenal job the filmatism in this film is is great the filmatism what, yeah that's a thing that uh one of the people i read outlawvern.com he uses filmatism as okay a thing. Like, i just had never heard that yeah um so oh you haven't <laughs> so the technical aspect of everything is is amazing and he really does bring out Amazing work in all of the actors. Mm-hmm. Did, Amazing did, work. Did you already bring up the fact that the director wanted the the one room refrigerated so they oh, could, the whole set was refrigerated I mean, so they could yeah. see their see their breath because you couldn't animate that. Back but it then. but it really freaking worked. Yeah, totally. And was probably uh, it was a horrific set to be on from all tales from all the actors. Um, Max von Sydow, Sido, however you say it. Tomato, tomato. He's he's a very. Uh, he keeps his cards tight in the interview in one of those documentaries. He said, well, I just think it was a very uncomfortable set at times, and maybe we could have acted a little more. <laughs> um, meaning, like, I, you don't need to shoot a gun. I know what the stakes are here, mister. But he would shoot a gun off to keep them always on edge. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, they never got rid of the demon. No. They only got rid of it from her. Yeah. Even after he dies... The demon doesn't, like, go away. Well, if you watch Exorcist 3, there's a whole story there of where the demon went because clearly Karis was alive long enough for that to jump to somebody else. And that's what happens in Exorcist 3. Spoiler alert! Is there an Exorcist 4? Uh, there's, like... The Exorcist the Beginning. And there's two cuts of that, of Exorcist the Beginning. Um, yeah, but... there, there, there's prequels and stuff. Um, there's not a 4. It ends with Exorcist 3, I which mean, they is... Ma- remade Rosemary's Baby. This has to be down the pike at some point. I hope not. I know, I'm right? gonna. We're going to work on The Exorcist, but from a different point of view. Yeah? The point of view of the demon. The point of view is from the assistant. Oh, Sharon? Sharon. Sharon. Sharon tells the story next. Listening to self-help tapes during The Exorcist. <laughs> right. You too can change your life. I just heard a snippet of it. It was like, oh... And she was using the one-eared. Headphones. She was also like she was also scrolling on uh, LinkedIn. 
She was scrolling around yeah, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Those were called papers back then. <laughs> Help wanted. All right. Well, we have enjoyed uh, going down this this uh, rabbit hole on the real and the real exorcist. And we're going to do another real real at some point too, right? Absolutely. I don't know. Well, how... maybe not every real will have is a real. real. Right. We'll have real and unreal. And not so real. Yeah. Thank you for the sound effects, Ryan. All right. Well... Uh, hold on one moment. Well, um, as we uh, usually try to say when we wrap up this show, if you want to find out more about us, look up www.connorsmithmusicals.com, Connor with an E-R. Find us on Facebook at Connor and Smith with an E. I don't know why I turned a different accent. Um, you're conducting me now? It's so musical. If you want to uh, rate the review or subscribe, is this racist? It probably is. I don't think it really is a race. I think it's, I just... think it's a made up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's please... it's kind of like a Swedish chef with <laughs> a little bit of Italian. It's a Muppet. Oh, God, help us. Look us up. Do Leave us messages do all the things look at our merchandise it's almost the end of halloween get one of those cute shirts now and uh as we always say don't play with the ouija board uh, well we don't always say that that we just did for this but if we always say in season two don't facebook friend satan never <laughs> never stop, stop questioning. questioning just stop other things <laughs> bye